Good morning. Welcome to all of you who are on site and also online, and a happy Valentine's Day to you. This is one of those days during the year where we have to find that sort of annual opportunity of a, a new way to express an enduring love for that somebody special in our lives. Now, if you've been with that same person for a period of time, over many years perhaps, you probably found that your love continues to grow, but so too does the challenge of finding a creative way to show that love without kind of duplicating what's been done in the past. One thing you want to avoid if that's the situation you find yourself in is, is, is kind of this challenge to have to kind of go bigger and bigger year after year. You see, when Nadine and I were first getting married, about, you know, 25 years ago, we went for marriage preparation counseling, and actually, we just started doing marriage prep counseling again this, uh, this past week for family. So if anyone's planning to get engaged today and wants to have some marriage prep, we are well underway. But some of the advice we can share with you is the advice that we received. For example, on Valentine's Day, I was told to be cautious to make sure that we start just simple. Because if your very, very first Valentine's Day, I were to go buy Nadine like a nice diamond ring, that's setting the bar pretty high for year one, right? You kind of see where I'm going with this? And, and, and what do you do the year after year after year if you start with a diamond ring for year one? So the advice I was given, and here's some free advice I can give to you as well, start it's romantic, right? That single long stem rose is romantic and, and, and your wife will appreciate it and love the beautiful simplicity of the gift. And then for those of us with man brains, we can sit back and think, I can get 12 years out of this as, as I work up to a dozen roses, right? And see, it's a win-win. We have better advice than that for our marriage preparation counseling, if you want to take that with us. But anyways, I like to believe that I'm a pretty good gift giver when it comes to birthdays, Valentine's Day, Christmas anniversaries, things like that. But where I really struggle, where I struggle is in the card aisle at Hallmark. Anybody else, any other guys have a hard time in that card aisle? You walk down there, there are so many different ways to say, I love you. It's tough. Because you stand there and you reflect upon the past year and think, okay, well, what, what events and what challenges, what blessings came our way this year? And we need to find a card that expresses that. Now, now, we're there for the same purpose, for the same purpose of expressing love. And yet it demands a new pattern of words because things changed. And it's this annual challenge that I personally have. I, I know some other guys have, and, and I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one. All right, I got it. She's gonna love it. Let's go. Whoa, how'd you find a card so fast? I'm a speaker of lady language. I hear their voices in my head, much like Beethoven heard music. No, I think it was just voices. Either way, I've got a card and you don't. I'm trying to find one with the right words. I just I can't find one that really describes how I feel. Here, this one. This one. This is the one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, sugar is sweet and so is honey. I bought you this card because I had no money. <laughs> that is so you. No, it's not. Yes, it no, is. No, it's not. It's not me. What are you trying to say? I need a card that says, 
I don't deserve you. I never have, and I never will. From the moment that I first saw you, I knew that I wanted to be with you, to know you, to understand you. I am humbled that you chose me. I have married out of my league, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't recognize that fact. And I've never, I've never taken our vows lightly. What do I say to the mother of my children, my best friend, my soulmate? I love you can just sound so cliche and trite, but it's the only words that I know. I love you. I mean, that would be a card, you know? That would be a card that I'd want to buy. <laughs> What's the matter? What happened? Don't look at me. Okay, okay. Well, look away. I, I, I have, well, what's the matter? It's like I'm a swimming pool and your words are like cannonballs landing. Pull yourself together, man. Attention, everybody. We are in the presence of a true wordsmith. No, we're not. Allow his words to be the wings on which your cards fly. No. No. I want what he's having! Okay, we need to go. We need to go right now. I've got an idea. We'll get those cards that are blank on the inside, and we'll write your words on them, and then we'll give them to our ladies. But we have to write in calligraphy. I'm just going to take your card. Wait, wait, what was that part about the true uh, soulmates? I need a pen. I'm going to write this down. That stuff is gold. That'll give me a whole Sunday of football. Well, whoever that special somebody in your life may be, whether it be a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, a, a good friend. For some people, it's, it's a sibling, a, a parent that they, that they say, I love you to this day. Whoever it may be, I, I pray that we may all find our own words and our own ways to express the same sentiment. That sentiment being, I love you. As we think of that phrase and of that situation, it's, it's similar to another phrase that's familiar to many of us, I think. You've probably heard this one before that says, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, what that means is that turbulent times will come upon us all and upon institutions, organizations, but sometimes the changes happen at a surface level, but, but it doesn't really affect a deeper level. The more things change, the, the more they stay the same. About a year ago, we know that COVID changed things for all of us. The way, the way that we work, the way we go to school, the, the way we do recreation, and certainly the way that we come to church. And yet the core purposes of all of these things has remained the same. Consider, for example, at work. Many of us are working from home exclusively or a lot more than we used to. Some of us are having some changes as we try to have multiple Zoom meetings and can't figure out how to turn off the cat filter on Zoom. So, some of us are still able to get work done, and we're still able to make the money we need for our families. So the same purposes exist. And sometimes even without a benefit, because, hey, we're saving gas money. There's no commute to have to worry about. We see in the churches things have changed. We, we're wearing masks. We're not permitted to sing. Many, a large percentage of our congregation is still joining us exclusively online. And yet we still find a way to worship. We still find a way to continue to grow. And we are finding new opportunities to reach more people. 
We've probably all heard recently that some churches are struggling with how they're going to respond and how they have responded to these challenges and to these changes. I'm sure we've all heard stories in the media the last couple of weeks. Well, we here at West Meadows have chosen to go a bit of a different way than what you hear on TV. We have chosen to join with the majority of churches who are abiding by the guidelines and are still finding a way to worship in freedom while also upholding the value of public safety. I do not believe that those things are in competition with each other. That's not new. If you read the book of Acts, if you follow church history throughout the centuries, you will see the church constantly couldn't be. It found a way to thrive. Now, so much of what we do and who we are and of the mission that we're committed to here at West Meadows remains unchanged. We are still committed to the same purposes as always, the core purpose of inviting people to experience new life with Jesus Christ. Whether that be to find new life in him for the first time in their lives or for those of us who have had that moment already, but every day we wake up, we see as a new opportunity to experience new life with him and discover more of who he is. We still believe that Jesus is the greatest treasure a person could ever receive. That has not changed. But in the face of the changes and the challenges that we are in the midst of, we need to hold how we do that with open hands. How we do it with open hands, being open to new patterns. And I, if, if I can say this, that I'm proud of West Meadows. Is it okay to say that I'm proud of our church? I mean that in a God-honoring way, that, that I am proud of how West Meadows has adapted and innovated in the midst of all of this stuff we've been going through. And that we've discovered new opportunities and we've reached new people in the midst of it all. You know, we are just days away from the anniversary of when everything changed. Life and ministry-wise. But I just want you to know today that we still affirm the same purposes. And as I point those out for us a little bit today, I also want to highlight for us some of the new patterns that have taken root in our midst and our ministries. I want you to know I'm excited for the future of West Meadows. And as you're going to see, and I think as I can hopefully unpack for you today, you'll come to see as well that the more things change, that really the more they can stay the same as well. So what am I referring to when I say that we're committed to the same purposes? Well, I'm speaking about more than just some, some church documents or statements that we have, as important as those are. What I'm actually referring to here is something much more powerful. Something that is actually found in the words of Jesus Christ himself and in the example of the early church that we find in the book of Acts. I want to begin today in Matthew chapter 16. Where we read about how Jesus and his disciples were, were traveling along the road talking as I'm sure that they did on a regular basis. And in the course of that conversation, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people think that I am? Like, who, who are they saying that I am? And the disciples respond by saying, well, you know, the crowds are kind of divided. You know, based upon your, your incredible teaching, the amazing miracles, you know, you know Jesus, some people say that you, you might be a prophet of old who's come back somehow. And, you know, others have different ideas, but everyone agrees upon this. Everyone agrees that you are somebody great. Now, Jesus asked the question not because he was interested in public opinion, 
but because it was a lead into a deeper question. See, he wasn't interested in popular belief. He was interested in personal belief. Because then he asked a follow-up question. He goes, well, what are you guys? Who do you guys say that I am? Now, as he asked that question, I imagine there was a moment of silence. Because they had been discussing this in different ways. Over all the steps they had walked, the miles they had journeyed with Jesus. This had been something that they had been discussing and mulling over. And, and, but to find the words, to explain what they're thinking was eluding them. But Peter speaks on behalf of the group. And for the first time for this group, he puts forth into the world the yet unspoken words and beliefs of their heart. When in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. He said, you are the Christ. You, you Jesus, are the long-awaited Messiah. You are the one that God promised that would one day come and would set us free and it would save us from our sins. You are the son of God. Jesus, you're, you're no ordinary man. When we, when we listen to your teaching, when we, when we see the miracles, the only way we can explain it is to say, you are God in flesh. There's no other answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms this declaration. This declaration which is one of the timeless, unchanging doctrines of the church. But then he adds this to it. And in verse 18, he says, Now I say to you, Peter, that upon this rock I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not overcome it. Upon this rock, the word rock there is the word Petra. Petra, like the 80s Christian rock band, right? Gen Xers know what I'm talking about, right? The 80s Christian rock band, the rock of rock and roll, right? that's what they used to say. But aside from the word Petra meant foundation. Foundation. Upon this foundation, I will build my church. Upon this foundation, that is what I will build my church upon. That is what will unite and unify the church. And what is that foundation? It is the answer to the question, who do you say that I am? And like Peter and countless others throughout the past 2,000 years of church history, the answer to that question is you are the You are the Christ. You are the Son of God who comes to save sins. And Jesus was founding his church upon the foundation of the declaration. And it came with a promise. It came with a promise that the powers of death, that all forces that are opposed to Jesus and his kingdom were completely powerless because of his church. Now many oppositions and many persecutions have come against the church over centuries, but, but make no mistake about it, there is a big difference between things coming against, of, of, of things coming against and things coming over the church. Those are two very different things. Jesus promised the church would never be overcome, and Jesus said it would not happen. History proved it could not happen, so we should not believe that it ever will happen. See, the church will stand. The church will continue to thrive. But it is going to look different. In different times, in different places, in context. We've seen this before, and we should not be surprised by it. 
See, a lot of us have experiences with church that's limited, I think, to a mainline Christian style. Or sorry, mainline Canadian style. And that's the context in which we live and grew up, and so that's what we're familiar with. But I tell you, if you even drive 20 minutes down the road and you go to an inner city church, it will look different. It'll be less polished. It'll be less technical. It'll be more interactive and a little more fluid on how things go. There was a time when I traveled to Haiti on a missions trip, and I attended church in Haiti. It looked different. I can tell you about the singing. It was loud, and it was long, the singing that happened there. Also, their their sermons were much longer than mine. Freedom in the length of my sermons after being in Haiti. I I had friends who went and lived in Africa for six months, in, in in like the desert in Africa. And they experienced church there. They actually had a hard time getting back into Western church models when they came back. Because, you see, what they had lived in for six months was that that church wasn't something that you just went to once or twice a week. It was much more of this small group model where church was a lifestyle. Where you lived constantly as the church in community and they got used to that, and they liked it, and it was so much different when they came back. See, these are all different patterns of church, and yet they're all committed to the same purpose. And we see also in Acts chapter 2, where we find the description of the very first church. A church that existed within a specific context and operated by certain patterns. But also in this passage in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, not only do we see the specific context and patterns of how they ran, but we also see that it reveals prescriptional purposes that should exist in every church. And it all started at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands up again and addresses the crowds there and publicly preaches the good news of Jesus Christ to them all. And as you read the beginning of chapter 2 of Acts, you see that at the end of that message, 3,000 people came to faith that day. And the church of Jesus Christ was begun. It was founded upon the foundation of the declaration, the good news of Jesus Christ that day. And here's the thing, folks. The church that started that day, we are a part of that church here today, 2,000 years later. But it looks different. It looks different, but has the same purposes. So I'll read this passage for us in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, where it says this about the description of this first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and they all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. As we read those verses, it it sounds to me like that would be an exciting time to be alive and to be present. It it sounds like that is a place where everybody had the opportunity to, to belong, to believe, and to become a committed follower of Jesus Christ. This is an important passage. Not just because it describes the start of the church that Jesus promised, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's important, but that's not the only reason. 
It's also important because it's where we can see 2,000 years later ourselves mingling amongst that church for the same purposes, even though we operate by different patterns. You see, within this description, I believe that there are five prescriptive mandates that every church follow. Not five options where you can pick and choose, like a buffet, but five prescriptive mandates that every church must follow, or I personally believe they need to take the word church off their building. Five things. But at the same time, we can also understand that based upon context, upon challenges, upon need, upon God's leading to a particular congregation, there also needs to be freedom on how they fulfill those mandates. And so for the time that I have left today, I, I want to unpack these five for you. I'll go through all the five of them fairly quickly. But I want to encourage you by pointing out how West Meadows has adapted and innovated to the challenges that we face in this past year, but are still committed to the same purposes, even though we may operate by new patterns. And the first thing we see in this passage in Acts 2 verse 42 through 47 is this, is that the church is to be a place of teaching. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now throughout the gospel, stories of of Jesus' life and ministry, we see him continually teaching his disciples, teaching the multitudes and the crowds and those who would come follow him. So we shouldn't be surprised that as soon as the church starts to gather, his disciples begin to start teaching others. But what were they teaching? Well, the simple answer is they were teaching the truth of Scripture. But how we understand Scripture is different. You see, we hear the word Scripture, we think of phones or on our, our shelves or the Bibles we may have with us right now. They didn't have all that. A majority of the New Testament were letters that were going to be written 20, 30, 40 years beyond this date at this point. They didn't have those yet. They hadn't written down the Gospels yet, so they really didn't have the New Testament the way that we see it. What did they have? What did they have that was the truth of Scripture? They had the oral traditions of the Gospels, meaning they had firsthand experiences as the apostles had walked and learned from Jesus, and they could pass on what is written in our Gospels. They could pass those on as oral tradition. They also may not have had the letters written to the churches, but they had the revelation of God that came through the apostles of the difference it makes in a person's life, of of how to live in community, how to live in life with Jesus. But they also had the Old Testament. The Old Testament passages that point towards Jesus, that reveal the truth and prove who he is. You see, what they were teaching was the good news of Jesus and all the scriptures that pointed towards new life with him. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. It is used for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The last part's critical, that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work, because you see, knowledge and teaching is not just about head knowledge. What it talks about here is that knowledge that we take in, making an 18-inch journey down to our hearts, and then eventually coming out through our hands, so that we are through the word of God, we are equipped for the same purpose we're committed to here at West Meadows is is referred to in one of our values as encountering Jesus, where we say that here at West Meadows, we weave this into our stories so that others experience
experience him through us. We've done this historically through, through biblically-based sermons, through small group teachings and classes, but, but there's some new patterns as well that have emerged in this past year. For example, our fidgetal ministries, where we've equipped part of our building and even what we're doing right now online so that people can tune in regardless of where they are, the limitations or the safety precautions that they need to abide by. Or those who are freedom are free enough and healthy enough to join in person, we can bring this together and still teach people the good news of Jesus Christ. In addition to having fidgetal ministries, the staff and I have been working over the past year to create something that we're going to be talking about in the future called the Discipleship Pathway, where there are specific intentional steps and, and, and markers along your spiritual journey that we want to engage you in and some of the courses we're running right now, Real Life Discipleship, Alpha, the, the Foundations course that's going to be talked about in a couple of weeks. This is part of the discipleship pathway that we are offering to our congregation and community. If you want to know more about any of these things, if you know that you still need to grow and, and you know, arriving on site Sunday mornings, there's online options for you. Just email us, talk to us. But I encourage you to get connected because we are a church that continues to teach in addition to that, the second one we see here is that in addition to teaching, it says that they were devoting themselves to fellowship. Now, word fellowship is a bit of an old-fashioned word. Sometimes you might have an experience of fellowship, and the example takes you back to coffee and donuts in the foyer, maybe, maybe gathering together for potluck. Those are good things. Those are forms of fellowship, but, but they're, they're external expressions of fellowship. You see, fellowship comes from this word koinonia, which, which means close relationship or association. A uh, more common word today we might use is community, to be in community with either. So we have lives that are interwoven with one another. We see this in the surrounding community of Lewis Farms. Uh, it, it's a community that Nadine and I live in. And so if they were to widen a road, for example, me and all of my fellow you know, Lewis Farm residents benefit by the widening of that road. If there's a power outage, we all suffer and go through the trial of not having any power. And we would say, we're, we're in this together. Our worshiping community sees the same thing in a bit of a different way. Where we have a shared experience of life at, at a deep, where we are unified in our belief of Jesus Christ. And whether we go through good times or through trials, our lives are interwoven because of our unity of the Spirit. And we are commanded in Scripture to live out the New Testament's 64 one another's as we are to love one another and encourage one another and, and correct one another and, and do life together. Here's the thing about community. All people yearn for community. It, it doesn't matter who you or when you've lived, or what situation is happening in your life, everybody has a need at some level for community. And here's the other thing about community and the need for it, is that if they do not find it in the church, they will go find it somewhere else. If we cannot offer community in the church, it will be found somewhere else. It may be found in, in work, in people that they work with. It may be found in sports and teams and clubs. It, it may be in a bar scene. Those of us from a, you know, back a couple decades, remember the sitcom Cheers? That was a community in a bar. That still happens in real life. 
And because of this, we need to heed the words of Hebrews 10, where it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not give up being in community, in koinonia, with each other. One of the same purposes we're still committed to here at West Meadows is what we refer to as heartfelt hospitality where we strive to cultivate a sense of belonging that softens hearts and saturates lives so that people can feel like they belong and like they can connect. Historically, we do this through life groups, through connect groups, through sports ministries, hockey and softball that we've offered in the past and and plan to hopefully offer again in the future, but in new ways as well. Some of you may, may be familiar that, that our children's ministry, Thena has led our children's ministry to have, have uh, senior friends where they create valentines and cards and postcards and they send those to seniors in the church who are, are not as free to connect and be in community anymore. They stay in regular contact with each other in that way. Uh, Pastor Andrew shares with me about how the youth and young adults are, are solidifying in, in online community with their, every two weeks when they gather together for study or for, for a fun event online, that they're solidifying in the midst of the situation we find ourselves. And I just want to say, moms and dads, if you have a teen at home, if you have a young adult at home where you still have influence in their lives, make sure that they're participating in these groups. Because if we do not find community within the context of the church, they will find it somewhere else. We do have a responsibility, even as our children get a little older and a little stronger in their opinions and ideas, we do have a responsibility to still point them towards the context of church community, not exclusively. They can have friends and things happen outside of that, but please do not let church community fall to the side during such formative years of their lives. Talk to Pastor Andrew about that. He would love to come alongside and support you in helping your your kids to stay connected in these ways. And I just want to say thank you to our church for for the ways that you're helping us to engage people, to make people feel welcome, to show love to all people, and to adapting to these new patterns of how we need to meet different changing times. Well, the next one is actually sprinkled throughout this passage, but, but the third one I want to highlight for you is that the first church devoted themselves to worship. What is worship? Well, First thing we might think of is music, because we say this is the worship part of the service, or something similar to that, and we refer to the singing portion of the service. And that's not wrong, it's part of what worship is. But if we read through verses 42 to 47, we also see that worship included other things. It included the breaking of bread, which is symbolic of communion, of prayer, of meeting the temple, of praising God with their lives. These are all vital expressions of worship. We could add to that things that we, we continue to do here, such as, as tithing and giving testimonies and, and serving and preaching as additional forms of worship. You see, the best way to understand worship is not by one of these expressions, but to understand that worship is the passion of a heart and a soul that demands expression. It starts in the heart of a worshiper, and then it demands to be expressed. And whatever form of expression it takes, if it is declaring and exalting the worthiness of God, it's worship. It can take all sorts of different shapes and forms. 
Back during the dedication of the temple, we, we find these words, a beautiful passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. If you want to read the whole thing yourself afterwards, it's, it's a beautiful passage. But verse 29 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. That, that's the passion. That's, that's the purpose behind worship. And, and it simply says, bring an offering. Come before him. Worship him in these expressions that are worthy of the beauty of his holiness. One of the same purposes we're still committed to here at West Meadows is vibrant faith. Where we give God our all. Trusting that we will experience his best. Come back to us. Some of the new ways we've done this in this past year is through, through online prayer groups. Uh, doing communion in people's homes. When we first started doing communion online, we were trying to figure that whole thing out. But it was beautiful to see the pictures of people taking communion in their homes that they would send to us. And realizing this doesn't just have to be something that is done here. That wherever the followers of Christ gather together, it is right to remember the sacrifice of Christ. It's a new way of doing it. We've continued to, to support and you've continued to give generously to the church and to the ministries to the point where we have been able to look after our needs and also be a blessing to others during this time as well. Thank you. We've continued to offer new songs even, which has its own challenges in the current climate. But sum all that up, the biggest change we've seen this last year is West Meadows at Home, which so many of you, a majority of people who are with us right now are watching online through West Meadows at Home which takes the message and the worship and the teaching and the fellowship that we have in this place and it removes the barriers of the walls. We have people joining us right now online from, from British Columbia, from the coast and throughout British Columbia, all the way to the Maritimes and down into the States as well, live with us right now because of West Meadows at Home, a new pattern by which we worship. So we come to the fourth one. As we're nearing the end of these five things, the fourth unchanging function of the church is that they devoted themselves to serving. In verse 45 of this passage, it says that they sold and they gave to all who were in need. Now this existed on two levels. You see, they sold and they gave to all who were in need within the church, which is the primary level that we see in this passage. And let me help you understand what's happening here. This is all taking place in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover, where Jerusalem's 100,000 population would swell to like 900,000. So these 3,000 people who, who came to faith in Christ that day were not all residents of Jerusalem. Many of them were from across the Roman Empire who had now traveled to this place for this purpose, heard the good news of Jesus Christ, entered into new life with him, and have this huge question of, of what now? Well, what now is, is you stay, you join us in fellowship, you give us a chance to teach, you give us a chance to show you how to worship. And these people who would stay, they, they had needs. They, they had needs of food and lodging and, and places to store their, you know, whatever animals they may have brought with them for part of the journey. They needed to be supported. And so people sold whatever they had and they gave to those in the church to sustain them during this time of transition before they sent them back to their homes equipped with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the first level it exists on. But the serving also exists on a different level because as they were learning, as they were being taught, they were being taught things Jesus said like, when you serve others, you serve me. 
they knew that they needed to extend that care to all people that existed in their community. They knew they needed to meet the practical needs of the community around them. And that by meeting the practical needs of the community around them, that it opened the door for the gospel. Not that, not that accepting the gospel became a condition for the need. No, that turned people into projects, and that wasn't what that was about. It wasn't about saying, you're my project, and I will give you food as long as you believe correctly. That, that's not what was happening. They gave because it was the right thing to do. And when people were curious, why are you so generous? They said, I love you because God first loved me. And it opened the door for the gospel. It didn't become a condition upon the gospel. And so they met the practical needs. And, and Jesus' brother James would talk about this in a letter where he says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. One of the same purposes we're still committed to here at West Meadows is strengthening communities, where we seek to enrich the lives of Lewis Farms and beyond by investing all we are to do all that we can. Throughout this past year, we've ran the community We Are Here For You campaign as we've connected with our community to try and meet needs that exist there. We, we have our ongoing benevolent offerings that we send out and, and have available to anybody in the church or in the community who has material needs. Right around the exact same time that COVID hit, we started the food bank. That was an interesting challenge for something that we're just jumping into. But here's what I can tell you almost a year later, is that our food bank numbers have increased a hundredfold that we are now serving 50 different families every single week through our food bank, that hundreds and hundreds of families throughout West Edmonton have been ministered to by this ministry. We've also joined with the West Edmonton Outreach that provides 1,500 bag lunches a week to people that are homeless in West Edmonton. And in all of these moments, as we provide for the material needs of hundreds of people every week, it's opened the door where we can pray with them. We hand them little cards and we invite them to come join us for Alpha where they can hear more about who Jesus is. We invite them to join us for West Meadows at Home and it's possible there are people who are tuning in on West Meadows at Home right now who've heard about this through the food bank and we are just that you're with us. So you too have an opportunity to look for opportunities around you and around your neighborhood to find new patterns of how you too can serve with what God has richly blessed you with. If you find them, press into those opportunities. If you need support, let us know, and we will come alongside and resource you in fulfilling those needs that exist around you. And I got our last one, our fifth one. It says in verse 47 that the Lord added to their number daily. This means that they were committed to evangelism. Essentially, that they were inviting others to experience new life with Jesus Christ because they were living out his grace, truth, and love in the world around them. That's our mission, to invite people to experience new life with Jesus Christ by living out his grace, truth, and love. You know, of all of these five that I say are prescriptive for all churches to be involved in, this is the one that quite often gets missed. And I think that's because it's the hardest. I, I think it's the one that gets skipped because it's, it's difficult. It, it maybe takes the biggest amount of risk and courage. 
and, and I can't fully unpack that for you right now, but let me just say this about that. If you are actively engaged in being taught, if you are committed to being in fellowship with people, and if you are actively serving people, evangelism becomes very easy because you're already in community and you're already in relationship with those that you can share the good news with. And you know what? Through your service and through your fellowship, they've already experienced him because they've experienced Jesus through you. We just need to put some words to the actions that they've experienced. And I can tell you this about it as well. Churches that don't value and pursue evangelism, their future is predetermined. Without evangelism, a church will plateau and eventually decline. There is another option to, to avoid that. It, it's to have lots and lots of babies. Is <laughs> the other option. And we're, I'm thankful for the young families that, that are having children right now. And we see new families joining us and, and young people joining us on basically a weekly basis. And we are really excited for that and for the future of what that means. But uh, for me, I'm going to pick evangelism. <laughs> I'm... I've done my part with the babies, and <laughs> it's time for me just to focus on evangelism. I think many of you will be in the same camp as me on that one. We have to understand what our partnership is in this. You see, there's our role, and then there's God's role. And sometimes we think that it's our role in evangelism is to be the one who's doing the converting. But there's actually three steps in the process. You see, there's, there's Scripture that says, go be witnesses, go be my witnesses. And then there's passages that Say, disciple. Be my witnesses and disciple. There's a piece in the middle that's missing. You see, Scripture says that we are responsibly witnesses of Jesus Christ, and we are responsible to disciple those who are in Christ. The Bible does not say anything about us being responsible for the conversion part of a person's life. You see, if we are being witnesses, God will use us, and he will do his work of convicting and bringing a person to faith important role of discipling. See, God's involved in all three of them. He simply asks us to be witnesses in word and in action. And when somebody accepts Christ into their lives and they find new life in him, that we continue to come alongside that person and disciple them from that point on. But whether a person says yes or no to your invitation, whether they agree or disagree with your beliefs, that's, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be the witnesses who put that forth. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Paul says, I planted the seed, that's planting the good news of being a good witness. Apollos watered it through service and through ministry, but God is the one who has been making it grow. For we are co-workers in God's service. The same purpose we're committed to here at West Meadows that we refer to as countercultural love. Where we share God's never-changing love with an ever-changing world. There are new ways that we've been doing this. I mentioned our online ministries, the opportunity to attend Alpha Grief Share Online are great ways to reach into our community and to meet some of these needs and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thena is offering a Pro D Day online uh, VBS, one day VBS camp to help parents out who may not have childcare for the day, giving the kids something to do over the course of, of the upcoming Pro D Day through our Glad Scientist camp that's coming up. And we have a program called CV Outreach, where people who are searching online for challenges in life are drawn towards videos that answers the questions from God's perspective. And it gives them the option at the end of those videos to reach out to a church. For the Edmonton area, we are that church. And every week, 
We receive the names and the inquiry community around us who are searching and hurting, and we have a chance to share the love of Christ with them. Each of us has opportunities to do this in our own lives. I encourage you to do so. You know, folks, West Meadows has been around for almost 65 years. 65 years. And I think it's safe to say that the more that things change, the more they stay the same. Is some change hard? Yes, it is. But it is not without hope, and so it is worth the effort. Is some change unexpected? Yes. But it's not without opportunity, so it's worth exploring. Is some change unnecessary? Definitely. But it's not without providing insight, so it's worth discerning. And is some things unchanging? Absolutely. Like the good news of Jesus Christ and the future of his church. I can tell you this, I am excited for the future of West Meadows. I believe that God is calling us to some new patterns and some new opportunities that we don't even know about yet, but are just waiting to him to bring to our plate that we can jump into as well. But still be committed to the same purposes. We're going to hear more about this over the next couple of organizations and churches that are trying to navigate these waters as well. But I hope that this has been encouraging to you. I hope that something in today or in the next couple weeks here will be inspiring to you and that you will see the direction that West Meadows is heading, that you will join us in that, and that you yourself will venture deeper into your own faith, into the own opportunities that God is bringing to you. Let us know how we can help you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity within this church, not just to be in community, but, but to share your love and truth with the community around us. I pray, God, that as we, as we love, as we teach, as we serve, as we worship, as we evangelize, Lord, as we fellowship, that you would be honored and glorified through all of those things. And that you would continue to bring others into our community here. They would all have our lives interwoven in the name of Jesus Christ to find that you are, Lord, the unchanging greatest treasure a person could ever find. Amen.